0: This morning's reading is taken from Mark chapter 2, starting at verse 23, and going on to verse 6 in chapter 3. It can be found in the Pew Bibles on page 1003, or if like me you're using the large print Bible, on 1004. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the cornfields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some ears of corn. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abathiah the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. He said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Pete.
1: Thank you, Christine. Well, good morning again, and um, I have a question for us to think about. I mean, what things do you consider that don't go together? Things that don't go together. I mean, instantly you might think of oil and water. Uh, If you're a techie, you might think of Apple and Microsoft. Um, You might think of things that don't go together food-wise, toothpaste and orange juice. I don't recommend it. Um, you might think um, Norwich City and Ipswich Town don't go together. Um, I found to my um, uh, mistake that tinfoil and microwave ovens don't go well together. Things that don't go well together. Last week we, we saw that the New Kingdom, verses 20 to 22, just before our reading... Um, the new kingdom that Jesus brings is incompatible with the old ways. Just as a new cloth uh, uh, pulls away from an old garment, just as new wine bursts out of old wineskins. New, incompatible with the old. That's where we left off, and that's actually where we're continuing. Today, we're going to see just how incompatible the good news of Jesus Christ is with the old way of religion. That might sound odd, because you might consider Christianity as a religion, but we're going to see how different it is. So let's take a moment to pray, shall we, as we begin. Our God, our Father, thank you for your word to us. And we pray now that you'll speak to us by your Spirit, for we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to keep your Bibles open at page 1,003 or 4, depending on which you're looking at. We're introduced to two incidences here by Mark. First is Jesus' disciples pick some ears of uh, corn on the Sabbath. And then secondly, Jesus, in full view of everyone, heals a man with a shriveled hand on the Sabbath. Both were considered by the religious leaders as against the law, as unlawful. The law uh, required you to rest one day in seven, that's the Sabbath, yet the religious leaders had added to um, this with their own set of regulations and rules um, covering all kinds of things that you were allowed to do and not do. They had added to the law. I find there's something quite sinister a bit creepy about what uh, it says in verse 2, as these religious leaders sort of lay in wait, watching to see if Jesus will slip up, if he'll mess up. It sort of reminds me a bit of some of the paparazzi in media, how they you know, wait for a political leader to, to have a burger and the tomato sauce to fall on them or to make a, a strange gaff or something. What is Jesus' response? Well, at first he asks them a question in verse 3, it says, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? I mean, it's a straightforward question, isn't it? it? Requires a straightforward answer. And yet what happens is that they remain silent. Do you see that? Silence. And so Jesus gets rightly angry verse 5 he looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts you see the day of rest was about refreshment from being tired it was about uh, replenishment from when you were feeling weary it was about uh, restoration when you were worn down so Jesus heals a shriveled hand of a man and does exactly what the Sabbath was intended for was about bringing restoration. And yet all Jesus gets is a stone-cold silence to his question. I reckon these people might be like sometimes we experience people with clipboards, a long list of, of uh, regulations ticking them off. Of course not seeing what is actually happening, not seeing the man has been healed and rejoicing and being glad in what God has done. Their hearts were shriveled, their hearts were shriveled like the man's hand. But the question I want to ask is why? Why did they react like this? And and this is where I want to talk about religion. You see there's two ways of thinking and being one, old and and one new. And these two things are incompatible. One makes moral law into a duty, it burdens you, it enslaves you. The other, the moral law is rather seen as a, as a blessing, as a, as a gift to protect and to guide for human well-being and flourishing. One is religion. Religion. The other is the good news of Jesus Christ. One old and one new, and they are not compatible. One makes you into a critical, list, judgmental kind of person. The other gives you kind of true freedom in Christ to follow his ways for your benefits. If. People today uh, believe in a higher being, or, you know, a God. They tend to relate to that higher being, that, that God. They, they relate... How? Well, they relate in trying to be good, don't they? By following uh, codes of conduct, by following rules striving to obtain that some kind of state of higher transcendence. That's how most people would relate to some higher being. If you do enough, then the higher being will um, somehow, on that basis, say uh, you're acceptable. That is the basic principle of religion. That is how religion works. If I obey, if I perform, if I achieve, then I am accepted. But you see, Christianity is completely different. And we really need to know this. The good news of Jesus Christ says, I am accepted. I belong in Christ through his work. And therefore I obey and follow his ways. Completely the opposite. Very important. Think about it like this. You, the, think about when the moral law was given to the people of God in the Old Testament. After they had been rescued from Egypt, after they had been rescued from slavery, it wasn't the way that they were rescued. God saved them, took them out of Egypt, and the law was given to them, to his people, a way to express devotion to God, to saying we're, we belong to this God, we belong to him, to show devotion, that he has rescued us and to follow his ways because he's got the very best for us. That's why the law was given for human flourishing, given to protect from things falling apart and disintegrating. That's why the Sabbath rest was given, given to restore, given to refresh, to enjoy what God had given. Let me shift the principle into another area of life. Sometimes the Sabbath can feel a bit like uh, 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 something that's a bit uh, different for us and in our culture, but uh, let me shift it to a different area. So just to show you how deceptive um, religion can be. I, I remember being a youth worker, a uh, youth volunteer, and um, a young man uh, came to me and um, he wanted to know what the Bible says about sex and relationships. And so I showed him that, that uh, relationship, that sex belonged within a lifelong, exclusive marriage between a man and a woman. I showed him from the Bible. That man, young man turned around to me and said, Okay, if that's the case... I want to know exactly what I can and can't do. I want to know all the little rules. I, I want to know what's acceptable. Please just give me the do's and the don'ts. Give me the lists. Can I have a girlfriend? Can I hold hands? Can I um, do this? Do this? What's too far? Just tell me the rules. Tell me the rules so I, I, I can be right with God. Do you see what's happening? He, he was a young man who was on the way fast to becoming a little Pharisee. Wanting all the little extra regulations so that he could feel less anxious about what, what he was doing. So he could justify what he was doing to get away with, to be, tick the boxes and be right with God. And of course, the principle is right. The place for sex is within marriage but you see it was the attitude of the heart to it. The Christian is about being awash, isn't it, with the love and acceptance of Jesus Christ. And then obedience flows out of that relationship that we have with Christ, knowing that his law, his ways, are given for our well-being, for our blessing, for human flourishing, a really good thing. You see, the good news of Jesus is so radically new and is therefore not compatible with the old religious ways. And so Jesus becomes really angry, righteously angry. And yet notice who else gets angry. Look at verse 6 with me. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. It's interesting because we know quite a lot about the Pharisees. um, But who are the Herodians? And why are they plotting with the Pharisees? You see, the Herodians were supporters of the sort of political um, class, social class, that surrounded Herod, who who, uh, was Rome's representative um, in Israel. And remember, Rome are the occupying um, force, And uh, they were the superpower. They were culturally Greek in in their outlook, which meant they brought with them all their Greek ideology. Um, They were very much um, liberal in progressive regards to um, human relationships. They were pluralists when it came to the gods. They had many, many um, different gods. You might even recall that John the Baptist had a a run-in with uh, Herod and his people because Herod had taken, um, he'd taken his brother's wife to be his own. You remember that? So the Pharisees and the Herodians were often clashing with each other. The Pharisees were the religious uh, class. Um, the Herodians uh, were the occupying force. And they saw them as the, uh, a threat to their way of life, to their laws and um, they wanted actually, usually, to keep away from them because they thought they were going to get contaminated by them. The Pharisees, you see, put emphasis on following the rules. The Herodians put emphasis on living according to what felt right as long as it didn't impact or threaten the empire. So my question is, how in the world did the Pharisees and the Herodians come together to plot to kill Jesus? Well, because Christianity is the complete opposite to both of them. Christianity, the good news of Jesus Christ, is Neither, on the one hand, moralism, and neither relativism. The good news of Jesus Christ is neither conservative nor liberal. It is neither traditional or progressive. The good news of Jesus Christ is neither right nor left. Neither about me doing what good works to get in, nor about me deciding what's right and good and doing those in order to be free. Neither. In actual fact, when you look at these two Herodians and the Pharisees, they are actually basically the same thing. They are religion. Religion. One says, I follow the rules given to me. The other, I follow the rules I make up for myself. Both ways are ways of being your own Lord and Master, of being your own uh, Saviour. Both religion both are completely hostile to jesus and the good news of jesus christ the moralist you see had come would come along here and say the good people are in bad people are out of course we're the good ones we will get in this jesus seems to fraternize with all the riffraff and all the bad people the sinners and therefore he can't possibly be good On the other hand, the progressive says, only through self-discovery, being open-minded, can one discover what is right and wrong. The judgmental bigots are out. Of course, we are the ones who will get in. This Jesus, he seems to be holier than thou. He seems to affirm marriage. He seems to um, talk about sin quite a bit. He can't possibly be good. Do you see what's happening? But at the center, they're both religion. Both think they are the best. The way to be acceptable to whatever you see as a higher being. Both feel superior to each other. And friends, this is really, really important because this is the default position of our hearts. This is how our hearts operate, and we see it all the time. Jesus, though, comes along with the good news. Hallelujah. What is the good news? The good news is I am a sinner, I am a failure. I have mucked up morally and spiritually, but I am saved by the grace of God. I am accepted through the free gift of forgiveness. Given to me in Christ Jesus. That is it. And every day we need to wake up and we need to remind ourselves of this good news. We need, to take, we need the Holy Spirit to pound our hearts with it. And to, we know the reality of it each day because our default will go the other way. So when we feel perhaps anxious about something, maybe a, a piece of work, a project, And you're worried, might not live up to the standard that is expected of me. I might not be able to follow the rules. And realize instead that I can never live up to the standard. But it doesn't matter because of what what others think of me, what my boss thinks of me. Because I know that Jesus Christ has said to me that you are mine. I have saved you. I love you. And I have died for you. you are mine, and you, he will keep on loving you. He will keep on even when you mess up, and that project or that thing fails. or maybe in another area you wake up every and you find you 're becoming quite an angry person, quite a judgmental person, disgruntled with how, how um, life is going, judgmental about all the people around you. Um, you know, my people in my office, they're so lazy. If only they could uh, look and see how hard I work and how hard I'm achieving. What do you need to do? You need to get out the good news, Jesus Christ, and say to yourself, remind yourself that I am a sinner, that I muck up, I'm a failure. I'm no better than anybody else around me. And that Jesus loves me and offers me the same grace that offers to the people in front of me and my work colleagues and the people around me. That Jesus loves me and loves them. And that will make you less angry. It will change you from the inside out. Christianity and religion, they're just incompatible. Like oil and water, the good news of Jesus is completely new. You can't sew it onto an old garment You can't pour it into old wineskins. It makes both Pharisee and Herodian, moralist and progressive, come together ready to plot to kill Jesus. Why does it do that? Why does it do that? Well, because of what it says in verse 27. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Jesus is not doing away with the Sabbath. Um, That might have pleased the Herodians, the progressives. Um, The Sabbath, he's affirming the Sabbath. It was made for man, for humanity, which means, yes, if you are too busy at work and you are not resting, you do need to rest. You can overdo it. You can burn out. But don't turn that into some sort of um, legalism that it was never meant to be. Jesus is not doing away with the Sabbath. He's not amending it. No, he is the Lord of the Sabbath. That's the critical bit. The Lord of the Sabbath. You see, this takes us so deeper. Jesus is not talking about just physical rest. The Sabbath isn't just about physical rest. It's about spiritual rest. It's about rest for our soul. Jesus is saying, I am the Lord of rest. The Lord of rest. I'm the source of Rest. I am the fulfilment of rest. I am rest itself. The one day a week is, you see, just a foretaste of what I can offer. That's what he's saying. I am the rest itself. Matthew eleven twenty-eight, for a familiar um, verse says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. These early chapters of Mark are all about Jesus and his identity. It is about his lordship—that he is Lord of all. He, that he is the rest that we need, the deep rest. How are we going to respond? Are we going to respond like the Pharisees and the and the Herodians with a kind of stony so- silence, saying, "Actually, I want to do it myself. I want to be my own God. I want to be my own sovereignty," or? You see, you can't sit on the fence with Jesus. He is claiming to be in charge. He is the master, the Lord of the Sabbath, of everything, of my relationships, of my work. What are we going to make of Jesus? What are we going to do about Jesus? Well, surely it's there in that verse. Let us come to him. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Rest. And that's what we're going to do now. We're going to turn to communion, being being reminded that it is in Jesus' death that he gives us rest, rest from our striving to be our own saviours. So let's just pause for a moment, and I will prepare the table, and let's come to the Lord Jesus seeking his rest.